prayer. Is I believe this is a very important word, okay? So let me know when you're ready. Everything good? All right, so let's open with prayer. We all are in agreement. I mean, those when two agree on earth is touching anything, God will do it. So, Lord, as a church, we come together and unify in prayer. And, Lord, we ask you tonight to anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be said. Lord, we ask you that there'll be a boldness, there'll be the right words to speak. And Lord, we ask you that your Holy Spirit will go out to all that are going to be listening or watching this, wherever they are, and the Holy Spirit will move upon the people. And Lord, that he will prepare our hearts and minds and help us to get locked in and focused on what you're saying, that there's not going to be any distractions in our hearts or minds. There's not going to be anything that would try to hinder. But let the Holy Spirit move upon us and help us by the Spirit of God, Father, to be focused, focused in our hearts, focused in our minds, and our eyes and ears to be anointed, to be able to see and hear. Maybe what we couldn't before, but the Holy Spirit helps us to see things. And that, Lord, let your word go out tonight with boldness. It'll be like a hammer that breaks through every stronghold and every lie of the enemy. Lord, it's going to be a sword that penetrates where it needs to get. Living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil tonight of lives and families watered by the holy spirit take root grown produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes lord let the wind of your spirit carry this seed out among the nations it's going to get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to lord we submit it unto you we resist the devil we agree together tonight that any birds that would try to steal the seed anything of the enemy we command right now in jesus name that to be bound and we command the enemy to back off right now in jesus name Lord, let your angels go and clear that out and that everything will be accomplished in and through this time that you will be done. We stand on the promise, Lord, that your word will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. We thank you for everything being accomplished in and through this time that you will be done. We thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said. And we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're on part 15. You know, I, I preach those little bitty series, right? <laughs> we're on part 15. Well, we're going through the book of Revelation, so you've got to take your time. And so we're going to look at chapter 10 tonight, and we're dealing with the angel with the little scroll, but the Holy Spirit is taking this in a direction tonight that has to do with his word being preached and getting out there so we're going to look at some different things but let me go ahead and read this so this is the text tonight if you want to follow along in revelation chapter 10 we're going to read the entire chapter it says this i saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud so you see picture this as you're as you're reading it the cloud would represent the glory wouldn't it so this angel was wrapped in the glory like a cloud and it says and there was a rainbow upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire so some people believe this is actually Jesus because of the description and it says in verse 2 he had in his hand a little book which was open which actually is a scroll a little scroll he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. That's interesting, isn't it? His right foot on the sea, his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice 
as when, a, as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven peals of thunder uttered voices. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? And the seven peals of thunder had spoken. I was about to write. He was going to write down what they said. But he heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up these things, which is seven pills of thunder has spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel, so you have to wonder, what did John hear? That's interesting. And why didn't the Lord want it recorded? But anyway, something took place here. This angel, which could be the Lord himself, put one foot in water and the other foot on land and he spoke with a loud voice like the roaring of a lion. And then there was these seven peals of thunder that released words. Something here was set in motion. Something was released. It's interesting to me, reading over this, that John wasn't able to declare what was said. But something in those thunderclaps, those rolling thunder, something was spoken. And I believe personally that what happens here, this is like a parenthetical time. So we just came out of what the seals and then the trumpet judgments, remember? And we haven't gotten to the bold judgments yet. Those are the worst. But this is like all of a sudden John has this vision and it's like a parenthesis in a sentence, you know. And you take a break and look at this, but something here is being spoken out, roared, and released out, set in motion. All right, so he said, seal up things which the seven pills of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Verse 5, then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and all things in it and the earth and all things in it, and the sea and all things in it, that there would be no more delay. But the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, and he preached to his servants the prophets. So this is powerful. See, up to this point, you have to understand that way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell, God knew before that that the Messiah would come. That's why the scripture says that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the earth because the Lord knew the end from the beginning, didn't he? And so when Adam fell, God set things in motion. This right here, what he's saying here is that the mystery of the revelation of the Messiah, there's not going to be any more delay. The trumpet judgments have sounded and the bowls are about to come swiftly and he's saying there will not be any more delay until the mystery of God is fulfilled, until Christ is revealed in his fullness as he comes to the earth as the last Adam to take over. From the, he was saying from this point, the trumpet judgments, that there's not going to be any more delay until the Lord comes to the earth. That's interesting. All right, so verse 8. And then it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go take, and this is the scroll, okay? Go take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel 
telling him to give me his little scroll. Take it and look at what the angel said. And I said to the angel, give me your little scroll. And, he, and the angel said to John, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth will be sweet as honey. So this mighty angel who's being used like this, it could be the Lord himself, but he's speaking all these things out. It's a powerful encounter. John's watching this. There will no longer be any delay. And the Lord spoke to John and said, go tell him to give you that little scroll. And the angel gives it to him, but he says, you're not just going to take it. You need to eat it. And so verse 10, I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it says in my mouth, it was sweet as honey when I'd eaten it, but it made my stomach bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations, tongues and kings. So what John actually was eating there was the word of the Lord that was supposed to come out of his mouth. There is something bittersweet in that. So let's kind of recap because I want to make sure everybody's following this. So we just finished, as you read Revelation, you've entered now the tribulation time. The first three and a half years, the trumpet judgments have been sounding. Serious things are going on. Remember, there was possibly an asteroid striking the earth and all these things, catastrophe. And as you get to the end of that, toward the end of it, this angel, John's given this vision, and this angel stands on the sea and the earth and lifts his hands and swears there will no longer be any delay. Meaning, from this point, you're going to move from that midpoint of the tribulation to the end. There's not going to be any delay. It's going to go straight way into it. And the angel roared out in these thunder peals there was things that were being spoken and declared probably set in motion god's mystery his revelation of end time events end time prophecies who knows what was said here but it might have been things like certain nations were to go to war and certain things were to happen and and it must have been that something was being released to set things in motion that it's time and that angel was saying now the mystery of God will be finished. Christ will come. So it's really powerful, like a parenthesis. It's a parenthetical vision that John had in the midst of this. And what's about to happen after the trumpet judgments, you're going to move into the last three and a half years of the tribulation, which are the most severe, the, the days of Jacob's trouble, the... Um, the great tribulation where the antichrist sets himself up in the temple and, and declares himself to be god demands israel to worship his image in idol they won't and then he releases a massacre against the nation of israel so these last three and a half years are going to be horrible for israel and for the the world as well so john was given something could it be that this scroll that was eaten when we get the word of the Lord, many times there's a bitter sweetness about it, isn't there? You know, it's a wonderful and awesome thing. The promises of God are sweet. But at the same time, the, the rebukes of the Lord, the correction of the Lord, 
the, the things that need to be said, the things sometimes we don't necessarily want to hear, but we need to hear. Do you remember when Jesus appeared to John and told him to write to the seven churches of Asia? He always said things like this. He said, I see all the good things you're doing, but I have this against you. See, it's the kindness and the sternness of God. It's the sweetness of his uh, admonition. And, you know, he's saying, I see the good you're doing, and I, I'm for you, and I love you. And, I, you know, he says, all, but then there's also the, but I have this, that you need to repent of this and change this. So there's this dual side there, and, and the Lord is just such a powerful thing. So I believe that John was given something to where he was uh, eating what he was going to speak. All right, so let me go ahead and dive into this. This is the direction I felt the Lord wanted me to share tonight. And I'm going to deal with the purity of the gospel. Now, John was eating a scroll which had something to do with prophesying to many people, nations, tongues, and kings. See, the word of the Lord, the Bible talks about the Apostle Paul said, I have not failed in preaching the whole counsel of God. So there's got to be something where we're willing to, to preach the word straight. You preach the whole counsel. There's no compromise. You're going to tell it like it is and just shoot straight. There's a power in that, isn't there? So let me say this, and let me just kind of dive into it, because to be quite honest, this isn't really a long but I wanted to really put an emphasis on this, the purity of the gospel, the responsibility that we have to bring the word of God. Just like John, John was given something to eat that he was to share. It was his responsibility to share what God was giving him. So we know that it is the written word of God for sure. We know that that is there. But just like in John's case, if it is a true prophetic word, a true prophetic message, it is the word of the Lord, isn't it? And God is, is holding us responsible that we will fearlessly preach his word, his truth, and not compromise it. So with that said, just like John was given a scroll to eat, all of us as believers and as, as you know, preachers and street evangelism and all of us, we have a responsibility that God has given us his word to eat and it's bittersweet and he expects us that we're not going to compromise that word at all but we're going to, to share it exactly as it is. So let me give you a few things tonight. Something that concerns me in these latter days because those of us that know end time prophecy, I've been studying it, not that I claim to you know, be a great, great theologian about it but i've studied end time prophecy for probably 20 years and i know it i'm comfortable with the subject and those of us that are familiar with it and have studied it for a while we are seeing things unfold in our generation and this is just one area but jesus said that there would be deception he said watch out that nobody deceive you and you see in multiple places where the apostle paul said First Timothy 4 1 he said in the latter days the Holy Spirit clearly says that there would be doctrines of demons think about these words that's exactly what he said there would be doctrines of demons now do doctrines are they preached out to the heathen no this is stuff that's coming to the church doctrines of demons and he said 
deceiving spirits. So it's not just going to be doctrines of demons, but there's going to be demonic spirits that are released to deceive. And we know the Bible also says there, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that there's going to be a falling away because of these things. How many of us know people, right now those that are watching and listening to this, how many of us know people that used to walk with the Lord that don't walk with the Lord right now? See, it's end time prophecy. We're seeing a falling away in our generation. And the Apostle Paul was used really to release a lot of different end time prophecies, but one of them he said that there would come a time, speaking of the latter days, when men would not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the truth anymore. But he said, rather, they will gather unto themselves teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're seeing that fulfilled in our generation and you've been seeing it fulfilled for some time. There are groups of people that don't really want the truth anymore. They want people to just to tell them what they want to hear. And so they specifically bring in hirelings that they can tell them what they want to hear. They'll pay their salary. And they're not real men of God. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm just going, I'm here today to tell the truth. And I, I love this church that you guys support that, don't you? All right. So there are hirelings out there that are just telling people what they want to hear. And they're paid good to do it. So let me just kind of just dive right into this because it's pretty straightforward. David Wilkerson years ago, along with several others, have confronted this and they spoke about it openly and I just want to give some credit to that because I love David Wilkerson's messages and he had a very powerful ministry and and I know Steve Hill was somewhat of a spiritual father to me and David Wilkerson was a spiritual father to him just like Leonard Ravenhill was and so there is an influence there that I deeply love um, brother David Wilkerson he's gone home to be with the Lord but God used him mightily as a prophet. So let me share a few things. Galatians 1.6 says, I am, now Paul is rebuking the church there in Galatia. It was a church in Asia Minor, Turkey now. Okay, it was a church there. And Paul writes this letter to them and sends it, and he's correcting them because they're getting off about something very serious. You cannot pollute the gospel. And so listen to what Paul said. He said, I'm amazed, Galatian church, if I could paraphrase. I risked my life going to these places. I went there. I preached the truth to you in Galatia. You accepted the gospel from me. You heard the truth. There was no compromise. I gave it to you just like it was supposed to be given to you. You believed it. The Holy Spirit was poured out in your midst. And he said, now, as like a... And I'm, you know, speaking metaphorically here or whatever, um, on behalf of Paul to them, if I could do this, uh, paraphrasing it, if you will. But Paul was saying to them, I was a spiritual father to you. I planted this ministry. I gave you the truth. And here now, you're saying that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you, 
who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But Paul said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So if I could continue to paraphrase, Paul is saying, I came in, I gave you the truth, and now there's some agitators coming in behind me, and they're trying to give you some other gospel. He's saying, that is accursed. Those people that are doing that are cursed. He said, I'm, I'm shocked that you would be so quick to turn from the truth. And be deceived by these deceivers. Well, not that this is the only one, but I'm going to give you today a false gospel going on that has been going on since the late 90s in America. And it's only gotten worse. But there is a false gospel now for a couple decades being preached in America that David Wilkerson, and I, I agree with him, he called it the gospel of accommodation. So what does the word accommodate mean? Let's think about this for a moment. To accommodate means to make it suitable to people, to adapt to them. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? To yield the desires of others to the desires of others and to placate them. So in other words, you're, there's this gospel of accommodation that is trying to placate to the people. Make it suitable for them. In other words, what they want. False gospels no doubt have been invented in hell itself. And there are some and have been some that are preaching this gospel of accommodation here in America. So let me give you something in history and then we'll dovetail back into this. But historically, you guys know this because I've taught on this quite a bit, not just in this series. But what happened years ago under Constantine? So the church for about 300 years initially was planted by Jesus Christ and the, the disciples that he himself mentored. But they carried on, the church carried on for 300 years. And it was a, a powerful church. I mean, this, the healings and signs and wonders and they met in homes and from these 10 emperors, Roman emperors, from Nero, who was the one that saw Paul executed, from Nero all the way through nine other emperors, ending with a man named Diocletian, there was horrible persecution against Christians in Rome. Christians would, the Roman soldiers would bust into their homes and grab them and drag them to prison. Some of them were thrown alive to animals in the Colosseum to lions and the crowds would cheer as they were being devoured by a wild beast some of them were dipped with in oil and and were hung up on these poles and lit on fire to light the streets of Rome 
there was a violent persecution against the church, a hatred. And that didn't end until the end of Diocletian's reign. But for 300 years, even though Satan did everything he could to destroy the church through severe persecution, mind you, the church not only stayed strong, it kept multiplying and growing and increasing. Every, it seemed like every time they'd killed one, two more would spring up. Everything the devil did, he could not stop this church. He wanted to erase them from the earth, but every time he tried to kill a bunch of them, a bunch more would get saved. So persecution didn't work for 300 years, mind you. And so the devil finally decided, I've got to come up with another plan because this is absolutely not effective. And so the devil starts masterminding how he's going to do this. And there was a man by the name of Constantine who was a Roman emperor. And after Diocletian, he came to power. And Constantine, once he took the throne, well, right before he took the throne, he supposedly had some kind of a vision where he saw a cross. And, and so Constantine felt that among all the other gods that he worshipped, that he was going to also worship the God of the Christians and just add that to his group of gods he worshipped. And when he took the throne, because he saw that vision of the cross, he wanted to be sympathetic toward Christians. And here's what Constantine did in a nutshell. Constantine brought in Satan's next attack against the church. And here's what he did. When he made Christianity legal, he perverted it. He didn't just make it legal. They brought in perversion. And so by bringing in all of this Roman mixture, he would go and, and officiate in these different Roman temples to their gods, but then come and he wanted to be the head of the Christian church and he appointed his cronies and gradually over time, things got more and more perverse, more and more idolatry, more and more paganism, more and more perversion of the gospel to the degree that eventually over time it led into the dark ages where the gospel itself was completely got done away with i mean no hardly anybody really knew the gospel in fact during the dark ages it was only small groups of people that that believed the truth and, and really stood for it and you know what the roman catholic church would do everything they could to hunt them down and kill them that's how perverse things got. That those that were true Christians were being imprisoned and being burned at the stake as heretics. So Satan's attack to try to persecute the church didn't work. And so he had to come up with another strategy and that was to pervert it. And this is similar to the story way before that. About 167 years before Jesus Christ. There was a story about the Maccabees, and this was the story of, of Hanukkah. And so in this story, here's what happened. What God was doing in the earth, he was doing in the nation of Israel through the temple and the priesthood of this time. This is, again, 167 years before Jesus was born. And so we know that Alexander the Great conquered the world of that time, and 
whenever he died, it split into category, different groups, remember? And Seleucid ruled over the Middle East. So here's what happened. The Greek emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes comes to power and he hates God, what God's culture, what he gave Israel, he hates it. He wants Israel to forsake the God of Abraham and worship his Greek gods, specifically Zeus. He wants them to do away with anything that God gave them. In other words, they would wear a tunic with the tassels, what's today known as a prayer shawl. He wanted that done away with. Anything that had to do with going to church of that time, synagogue, or reading the scriptures, the Torah and the prophets, all that had to be done away with. And this man wanted to come in. And here's the scary thing about it. There were Jews of that day that were okay with this. And they were willing to assimilate into Greek culture and somehow have some kind of a mixture between what God gave them, but also in this Greek lifestyle and worship as well in other words to pervert it and to bring in mixture but thankfully in the story of hanukkah there was a small group of priests of the hasmonean dynasty that were used powerfully by god and they raised up and they said we will not sacrifice to the greek gods we will not bow down and worship the greek gods we will only worship the one true God. We will not assimilate into your culture. We will continue the culture that God gave us. In other words, they were saying, we will not compromise with you. We're going to worship God, and we're going to worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. There's not going to be any mixture here. Well, it started a revolution. And the Maccabees, being a very small group of priests, and now they had to become warriors, began to fight one of the greatest militaries of that day. You understand that the Greek military in the Middle East under the Seleucid Empire was one of the strongest military forces in the earth of that time. Think about what I'm saying. And you have this little family of Maccabees that basically were saying, those that are for God come to us, and they begin to fight this warfare like guerrilla warfare. And God gave them a miraculous victory that over the next couple years, they drove back that army. Isn't that something? And they were able to take the temple back, and they were able to cleanse it and rededicate it. What I'm getting at is those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And Satan knows that persecution only goes so far. There are some that will sell out because of persecution, etc. But he knows that persecution will not stop true biblical Christianity. It never has. And so what is Satan trying to do in our day? The same thing that he's done historically, he's trying to pollute Christianity. He's trying to pervert the gospel. And what's been happening is, is there's been this gospel of accommodation. And it's been very strong here in America. Other parts of the world, third world countries, actually over the last couple of decades, Steve Hill told me back years ago, he told me that 
he had gotten kind of some hate mail from some Christians in other countries and said, you tell those people there to keep their false gospels in America and keep it out of our country. <laughs> of course, Brother Steve wasn't the one preaching the false gospel. But there were many that are. Some of them are on radio, they're on the internet, they're on YouTube, they're on television, they're quite popular. But this gospel of accommodation. See, when you go back in history, you realize that to, to try to persecute didn't work. So the devil said, look, we've got to try another strategy here. We've got to bring in some kind of a perversion, some kind of a mixture to muddy the waters. And See, here's what happens when people hear a false gospel. Even though some maybe have never worked with cement, you're going to understand this analogy. If you take a bag of cement, you've got to mix it with water and use the right amount of water. And when you mix it right, cement can set up and can be so strong that you can build huge skyscrapers on it if it's done right, if it's mixed right. But what happens when you put way too much water in the mixture? It's weakened. It's not going to set up right. It's not going to be strong like it should be. Does this make sense? In the same way, the devil knows that whenever you, when the gospel is being perverted and it's not being preached right, that it's not solidifying something in people. It's not giving them the foundation they need. And so therefore, their walk is messed up. Just like if you take a building and you lay a foundation, but it's not done well, and that foundation is unstable, it begins to crack, what happens to the building itself? The whole building is unstable. In the same way, people are not getting the gospel and many, many times the way they should. It's not setting up in them and solidifying them in the faith like it should. Therefore, their entire life is unstable in Christianity. The devil knows this. And he's been working over the last couple decades. I believe personally this was an attack against the great revivals of the 90s that the devil said, I've got to stop this. And so he knew that persecution wouldn't work. All during those revivals, he raised up critics to try to persecute the move of God. It didn't accomplish anything. So what does he do? On the, on the tail end of it, he begins to bring in false gospels and false teachers to try to muddy the waters and bring confusion. And here's what's happened. It takes different names, but this gospel of accommodation has been called different things that would sound good. They, they use these catchwords like you, you need to be relevant. And what it's called, it's like a seeker-sensitive type of movement. And this started in the late 90s. And y'all please hear me tonight. It's based on a formula and what people were taught to do if you go into a certain city that you can go to the people there that are not in church. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You can go to those that are not church people that are not in church and you begin to ask those people what turns you off about church? Why won't you go? And the people start giving different examples of well, you know, maybe if it was more casual, maybe if it was this, maybe if we have more programs that did this, that, and the other. And they use that as a basic model of trying to just simply get people to come. 
And pretty soon, this church, there'll be a name put up there, a building is purchased. The building itself in many ways is run like a basic business model with the pastor being kind of like a CEO. It's advertised. And overnight, because it's giving people what they want, people come in. But it's a gospel that's being taught there of accommodation. It's a gospel that's placating to that crowd what they want to hear. All of a sudden, not saying that, you know, everything about this is necessarily wrong per se, but all of a sudden so many churches will have, you know, the smoke and the lights, but it becomes almost like a nightclub and the, the worship set becomes very entertainment-based. It doesn't get any deeper than just the soulish realm of human emotion. It's not getting into spirit worship. There's a lot of skits and dramas. And there's short, non-abrasive sermons that tickle the ears and basically, they're just motivational speeches telling people, again, what they want to hear. It accommodates them. It placates them. The focus is on how much God loves them and how much he wants to bless their life in this life, which there is some truth to that. God does love people, and he does want to bless us. But it won't deal with the whole counsel of God where there's conviction of sin and repentance. And so even though I believe that this started as something that, that probably was sincere, and there was a lot of sincere people that wanted to try to reach others with it, I think that there was some sincerity behind it, but pretty soon it became big business, big money, and you don't want to offend anybody. It's a gospel of accommodation. I remember seeing, you remember those movies that Kirk Cameron put out, Left Behind, came out years ago, and they're really good movies. But in one of them, and I don't remember which one of the three, but there was this preacher that was preaching, and there was a group of people here, the rapture had happened, and there was a group of people that came to the church, and they were there because they were concerned about what happened. They wanted answers. And I'll never forget this because he got up and he basically told them the truth. There was no watering it down. There was no tickling ears. He said, this is what happened and this is the truth and this is the way it is. And this is the gospel. And I remember in that movie that about half the people got up offended and left and didn't want anything to do with it. But the others were there now for the right reasons. They wanted truth. See, this gospel of accommodation today wouldn't do that. It would placate to those that were there. It's like licking your fingers, sticking up in the, see which way the wind is blowing. Okay, what does everybody here want to hear? What's going to keep everybody here in this room? And then you just tell them that. Do you see what I'm saying? And what happens is, is you get a lot of people there, and you, you have big numbers, and there's a lot of money. But the problem is, is that so many people are not hearing the truth. 
They're not repenting. They're not really right with God. And there was a, a minister of a, a huge church. And Steve Hill was telling me this. This was when him and I were together, just the two of us talking. And he told me that he knows a man that has a huge church, mega church. And he asked him because he was one of these seeker-friendly models. And so Steve was asking him, hey, man, so how do you feel overall in your congregation everybody is spiritually? And he got very sad, and he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, probably about half of them would go to heaven if they died right now. Think about that. And Steve said, brother, you better tell them the truth. See, that's the gospel of accommodation. People can come in, and they can be living together in sexual immorality, having sex outside of marriage, and sit there week in and week out and not feel convicted about it. It's a gospel of accommodation. We just want them there, and we want them comfortable so they'll keep giving in the offerings. So we can have a big building, and we can have a lot of fancy programs going on, and a lot of people there. I could give so many examples. I don't even know where to start because I've got 20 years of examples, of things I've seen. But motives now are totally off. Over the period of time, I think it started sincerely, but over time, motives no longer became about preaching the truth and being willing to offend people. Motives like that went out the window. Now the motives are sitting around in a group strategizing, how do we get more people there? How do we keep them there? How do we make them comfortable? How do we placate them? And that's exactly what Constantine, by making things legal and bringing in perversion, people would go to their pagan temples and still come to the uh, church, and it, it just perverted everything. Because no longer did it become about the pure gospel anymore, because that's offensive. So let me give you a few more things. Here's what concerns me. Just like John, he had to eat the scroll... And John had to be a faithful witness to speak what God was giving him to speak. In the same way, us as ministers, we have a responsibility. Here's a couple things about this false gospel of accommodation. The gospel that just wants to placate to people. Just tell them what they want to hear. Make everybody feel comfortable. Number one, this false gospel today does not require a new birth. Did y'all hear what I said? Therefore, it is no gospel at all. See, for years, back in the 90s, I remember this, for years you had these religious critics. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So let's just, we're already offending everybody. Let's just go for it. We had all these religious critics out there that, that all of a sudden, all these moves of God, it was like anybody that was anointed was of the devil. But you're talking about clueless people. You hear what I'm saying? These, these many times, and I love them, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it's the truth. You're dealing with hyper-Calvinism. You're dealing with people that have a certain mentality, a certain view. They're, they're cessationists, meaning they don't believe that God moves in power anymore. They don't believe in the gifts. They don't believe God heals anymore. Blind guides, Pharisees, modern-day Sadducees, 
Here they are, anybody that was anointed, they're saying over and over, writing books about it. They're on the radio, they're on TV, they're false teachers, they're false prophets, run to the hills, all this nonsense. You're talking about clueless, absolutely flat out wrong, calling the wrong people false teachers. Well, here's what their wonderful work did. You ready? Now nobody knows what's true or false anymore. These people were used mightily of the devil to bring great confusion to the body of Christ. And now anytime somebody's anointed or they're used of God that, that is going on in their minds, the devil has deceived a lot of people. And now I'm looking at a church world that is embracing, by and large, by the millions, embracing this false gospel of accommodation, but they're, they're scared of the move of God because of these, these people. Now, let, let me ask you this. I think that many of them that were doing this probably love the Lord, and, and to a degree, they have some truth to them. But here's the thing. If they're going around calling all of God's anointed servants that are being used in him, false teachers and false prophets, while they themselves don't even believe that the gifts are for today or that God heals, who's actually the false teacher here? Hello? Who's actually leading people astray? But this false gospel today does not require a new birth. It does not require repentance of sin or fruit examination. All it is, is how do we get people in here? And then how do we make them comfortable here? How many knows the gospel will make you very uncomfortable? I've witnessed to many people down through the years. We do a lot of street evangelism. And I don't even, I mean, we've done so much of it down through the years. But even back in the 90s, I was going on the streets witnessing. And that was one of the things I think that really connected Brother Steve and myself was our heart for evangelism. And I remember just giving people the pure, straight gospel. And I would see them over and over. I saw this so many times them start feeling so uncomfortable and beginning to squirm what was happening they were being convicted by the holy spirit it's a beautiful thing just like peter on the day of pentecost when he got up and preached the truth he preached the gospel what happened they were cut to the heart they were convicted and then they said because the holy spirit convicted them they said well what must we do the holy spirit has got to convict he's got to draw but see, the Holy Spirit will never anoint some false gospel, will he? You've got to be willing to preach the truth. And when the Holy Spirit begins to move, and here's another thing, a lot of times these type of places have absolutely no move of the Holy Spirit because they're preaching a false gospel, and the entire thing is on a foundation that is a false gospel of accommodation. It's not about being you know prayed up and being led by the spirit and functioning under the anointing and preaching the truth it's not about that and so there's no anointing see when the holy spirit is at work in a place sinners will be convicted the holy spirit will come in and he will draw people unto jesus and where there's sin in the camp he will convict the sin and help them to repent and get right with god but this false gospel today does not require a new birth it does not require repentance of sin it placates people in their sin, thus giving them a sense of security that they're going to heaven when they die. Yet the Bible is clear that unless we are born again, 
And unless we repent of our sins, we are certainly not going to heaven when we die. It reminds me of the scripture Jesus said about the Pharisees when he said, you'll travel land and sea to win a single convert, then make them twice as much a son of hell as you ever were. Hello? These people go to great lengths to get people to come. Spend a lot of money in advertising to get people there in effect to make them twice as much a son of hell as they are. By giving them a false gospel and a false sense of going to heaven when they know good and well those people are going out living in unrepentant sin. Many of them have never even been born of God. But they're told basically you're fine. Everything's good. Come back next week. We'll have some wonderful programs for your kids, which there's nothing wrong with programs. We'll, we'll have our smoke and lights. We'll have our entertaining worship. I'll give you another motivational speech that makes you feel good about yourself. We don't want anything here that would offend you or make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus seemed to have a pretty good habit about going into places and making people feel uncomfortable. The apostles, Paul's motto probably was, bless God, we're either going to have revival or a riot. <laughs> I mean, he knows that they made people uncomfortable. Over time, this has morphed into getting worse and worse and worse, just like with Roman Catholicism perverting Christianity over time, it got further and further from the truth, darker and darker and darker, till it led into the dark ages. In the same way, over the last couple decades, this has progressed in, into greater darkness. The foundation is wrong. This gospel, number two problem, this gospel placates to the Antichrist liberal agenda. Hello? It causes many to feel very comfortable with the liberal agenda of being pro-abortion, being very comfortable with homosexuality. They see nothing wrong with witchcraft, like it's a fun little game that their kids can play with. And they do not, hear what I'm saying, they do not hold to the Bible as being absolute truth. They do not believe that you must be born again, and they do not believe. They may believe it, but they won't ever say it. And they don't hold the Bible to being the sole source of truth. I've heard over the last couple of decades more and more and more quotes from things like movies and old philosophers and different people. They're bringing all this stuff. They don't even hold to the Bible as just being absolute truth, the source. They don't take the word of God seriously. And God said he hated these things I mentioned. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? So you've got in these places, you've got people coming in there that their kids, they just paid for their kids to have a, an abortion. Sex outside of marriage. You've got now murder coming in and worshiping. Like nothing's wrong. There's no conviction of the Holy Spirit to convict them. They sit in there, lift their hands, and sing a fancy song, and, and, and they listen to a motivational speech and go right back out in their sexual immorality and their murder. 
And God said that he hates these things. In the strongest terms in the Bible, in the absolute strongest terms, God said that these things are an absolute abomination to him, meaning that he hates them with a passion. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. And he hates sexual perversions, whether it's homosexuality or whatever else. He hates it. And I'm going to tell you something else. He hates witchcraft. And the Bible says, God said, I'm going to send the nation of Israel into Canaan. And that's the very thing those people do there. He said that it's such an abomination unto me. He said, you do not pick up any of those practices. You drive them out and you tear down every pillar every worship of other gods he said i don't want to even hear about you guys trying to pass your children through the fire in any type of human sacrifice and there's not going to be any sexual immorality i hate those things and that's the reason why i'm driving out those people out of there and putting you in there is because that's what they do the land has vomited them out but yet this gospel of accommodation has got a group of people there that are very comfortable with the very things that God says he hates. They have no problem with it at all. There's no true fear of God. There's no conviction of the Holy Ghost. And the word of God has been so watered down. It's like that weak cement that is brittle and pathetic. It has no real foundation in people. It hasn't set up in them right, and it hasn't set up in that ministry right. The third thing, worldliness is tolerated and even encouraged. I've seen in shock over the last couple decades, more and more and more and more. All this worldliness has crept into the church. It's hard-pressed to find churches, church leaders, worship leaders, etc. They aren't, aren't getting into all kinds of whether it be tattoos and piercings. Some of them use a lot of foul language and profanity. Drinking has become a thing in church, believe it or not. I would have never thought in my lifetime that I would see what I'm seeing right now. People go out, some of these worship team people go out and they drink and they, uh, you know, they party on the weekends, they go clubbing and then they're going to get up and lead worship at the next service. It's total hypocrisy. But see, they, they have, the gospel of accommodation has no problem with that. As a matter of fact, the church leaders there are so concerned about just making everybody happy and placating everybody, they'll even pay and hire, listen to me, they will hire rank heathens that are good on an instrument, pay them good money to get up there and play on the worship team because they just want the worship good to be an entertainment for the people. There's no difference between them and the world anymore. When worship is something that's supposed to be very holy and powerful and usher people into the deep place of God's glory where the Holy Spirit will begin to convict of sin. Worldliness has crept in like I've never seen. These people, they will those that preach this gospel of accommodation, they will glory in their acceptance of the world. The great numbers that they're having, the pseudo success that it seems like they're having, the buildings and the money and all the things, they glory in all of that. Yet James chapter 4 cries out against them and says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God and those that choose to be a friend of the world become God's enemy? 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about 
all the different things that would happen in the latter days, that men will be boastful and arrogant and all these. And it says that they will love pleasure more than they love God. And you see over and over in our society how entertainment has become such an idol to people, whether it's sports, big money, great wealth in the entertainment industry, music, various television and movies, etc. Just there's great wealth. Why the, the pleasures of men? Look at the, the great wealth that funnels through X-rated pornographic things. What is it? The sinful pleasure of the sinful man. And in these places where a gospel of accommodation is being preached and nobody wants to offend anybody, where's the crying out against it? Let me just ask you a question as we think together. I wonder, what do you think? Do you think that a preacher that gets up week in and week out and refuses to tell people the truth, even though he knows it, and many of them go to hell for all of eternity that could have been saved, do you think that he will escape hell himself? Does the Bible not say in the book of James that we will be held even more accountable and we will be judged more strictly, those of us that preach the, the gospel and taught? There's so many examples, that, but David Wilkerson pointed out this one pastor, they wanted to have a David Letterman night, and he said after church, they didn't want to offend anybody. He was saying to the people, we just want everything to be comfortable and fun. And they brought, see, the world has come in. It's all just entertainment. Here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that true discernment in the American church is gone by and large. All people see anymore is charismatic personalities, the smoke and the lights, the big buildings, the big numbers, they follow the crowds. They follow the money. Did y'all hear what I just said? They think it's God. And at first, some of them felt uncomfortable about some things, but after sitting in it for a while, how many of you guys have ever jumped into a swimming pool that was kind of cold at first? Pretty soon you get acclimated, don't you? They go in and it's abrasive at first to them because they're used to the truth, but over time, they get acclimated to it and they feel comfortable with it. Well, they have good things for our kids. And here's the fourth thing that I'm concerned about. On top of the seeker friendly has come now the hyper-grace movement. The hyper-grace movement makes people feel that their sins are already forgiven before they do them. Let's just be real. This is a special kind of stupid, as they say in the South, right? How is it that your sins are forgiven before you do it? When the Bible says that if you sin against God, confess your sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive you. If you can just live in unrepentant sin and do whatever you want to do and go to heaven, there was no point in Jesus Christ coming and dying the brutal death he died because you can just go to heaven in your sin, right? But the reason Jesus came was not so that we could continue in sin. The Bible says that he bore in his body our sin, that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. 
And the Bible says very clear in Romans 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul made it very clear to not make God's grace a license to sin. And that's exactly what they're doing. And let me just tell you in no uncertain terms, as clear as a man can speak, I don't care who they are. I don't care if they've been on television for 50 years. If they make you feel that you can live in sin and go to heaven, they are a false teacher. They're a liar. And they're going to be responsible for sending a lot of people to hell. Do not listen to them. They're a liar. And probably they're telling you that because they just want your offerings. These, you want to know who the actual false teachers and false prophets are? They're the ones that are pushing a false gospel of accommodation. They're the ones that are just hirelings that they're bought and they're paid for by the people to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They sit around in rooms strategizing, man, how can we get more people and how can we make them feel comfortable and get the bigger offerings? It's no different than a business. I laughed, Rob Parsley, boy, he, can, he got up and said, if I wanted to learn about these business strategies he said i will go to the local community college and take a class he said when i come to church i don't want your business theories he said i want to experience the power of god there's still some out there that like rod that preach the truth and finally the last thing, the fifth thing that I'm very uncomfortable with and I have a lot of concerns about is that Satan, the Bible says, comes as an angel of light. Now, I really appreciate River of Life because you guys got to understand, this goes out through the internet to the nations. You know how many people in America won't hear this? All of 2020, there's people in America, all of 2020, that won't hear a sermon like this once unless it come out of somewhere like this. But Satan comes, number five, Satan comes as an angel of light. So Satan doesn't come looking like some red horned guy breathing fire, pitchfork, scaring everybody, little children screaming everybody. He comes looking very beautiful, and the way he speaks, it's like something that is alluring about that. He comes in to deceive you. He wants to come in in a way that sounds so good. See, this whole thing about the seeker-friendly, let's go back to the days of Constantine. All of a sudden, finally, after 10 emperors, somebody is sympathetic toward Christianity. Somebody is making it legal. And it seemed like a good thing. And it seemed people were excited about it at first until things started getting more and more perverse. Then the true Christians over time basically had to go into hiding, but yet the pseudo-false Christians were totally fine with it. I hope you guys are hearing what I'm saying. I'm about to close, but I hope you hear this. There is a counterfeit form of Christianity alive and well right now in the earth. This counterfeit form of Christianity is pervasive. And hear what I'm saying, guys. Please, if you're listening to this on Facebook or you're hearing this through the Internet, 
get out from among these people because there's a counterfeit form of Christianity out there that does not require a new birth. It does not require you to repent of your sins. It does not believe the Bible is the sole source of truth. See, Satan has come in and he's used these different ideas. Well, let's be secret sensitive. And, you know, to a degree, I see what they're saying. You want to reach people. And there's, I believe it started sincere. But see, here's the problem. He came in like an angel of life. And over time, the Bible says, and this is a scary scripture. The Bible talks about if Satan comes as an angel of light, then his ministers, his ministers, everybody say the devil's ministers. They come as ministers of righteousness. It says that in the scriptures. Did you know the devil has ministers? Did you know that the Bible clearly says that he has ministers that appear as ministers of righteousness? These false ministers, these false apostles, these false teachers, many of them, they're ambitious in the ministry, climbing the ladder of success, and everything is based on wrong motives. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? If you go into this thing to try to build something, to make your name great, to... Yeah, I heard this one guy one time tell me, he said, we're, we're going to do this, that, and the other, and we're, we're going to build a mega church." And I remember thinking to myself, why is that the motive of your heart? I've known other people that way. When I was in Bible school, that was the biggest turnoff I had was I saw so many people around me that they were all about, how do I get a name for myself? I saw it over and over. How do, how do I meet the right people and and they were very ambitious they wanted to climb the ladder of success they wanted to to climb up the uh you know the different rungs of success in that particular denomination all of that right there if you if you have those motives even things like well i got to make a living so you know they're going to build a church they're going to do this or that and it's a it's about making a living it's about making money all these different motives. You know, Brother John, when he was here, we talked about all this. Did you know that if an airplane takes off and it's just one degree, everybody say one degree, just one little degree off, did you know by the time it reaches its destination, it can be hundreds of miles off? Hundreds. And see, when you start out with wrong motives in your heart, don't be surprised if the devil doesn't start tapping into that, those wrong motives. It's like an iniquity within that pretty soon it's no longer about the things it should be about. It becomes about placating the people, making everybody happy and comfortable in their sin. Yet the Bible gives us examples in Acts chapter 13, when you talk about, you know, building a ministry or whatever, let me, let's just ask this question. Derek Prince said this one time. Somebody told him, I'm going to plant a church. And Derek said, well, you arrogant little thing. <laughs> Who do you think you are? It said, only the Lord can really plant a church. Have you heard from God? 
Is this the work of the Lord? Did God tell you to do this? Or did you just study demographics and think, well, I'll go do this? See, that right there. See, that, that just over a lot of people in America, that's a big deal. Because if the Lord isn't doing it, unless the Lord build the house, then that labor, labor in vain. And let me tell you something. You can have all the pseudo success in the world. You can have all, all of that. And at the end of the day, you're going to stand before the Lord in a pile of ashes, having accomplished not one thing of value for his kingdom your entire life. It was built totally on personality and it was a secular business called a church. No lives were ever significantly changed. And people say, well, wait a second. Okay, well, let's ask the question. How many people are truly getting born of God for real and they're repenting of their sins for real? Their lives are being transformed, number one. Number two, when's the last time you guys were laying hands on the sick and they were recovering? Hello? When's the last time that you were casting demons out of people and literal demons manifested and left people? Why are we dumbing the standards down? This is Jesus' ministry, isn't it? When's the last time the gifts were in operation? When's the last time there was a tongue and interpretation? There was prophecies. So the example in the scripture, whenever it was time to, to expand and plant a church or whatever, is Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas and others that were there prayed and fasted and sought God until the Holy Spirit said. Everybody say this, the Holy Spirit said. So it wasn't people sitting around in a conference room saying, hey, maybe let's come up with a good idea of how we can do this. They prayed and fasted and sought God. And then the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. And the result of that was all of these churches you read about in Asia being planted. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit leading them. Acts chapter 15, it says that they consulted the Holy Spirit. It seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit to not burden you with any more than this. They, they were people of prayer. They wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit. They understood that it had to be born, if church had to be born of God. They understood that people had to be born of God. And I close with this. When the true gospel is preached and the true cross of Christ is preached, it is so offensive. When Jesus in John 6 was, you know, people followed him. Very first thing Jesus did, and people need to read. If, if you, you want to go on the other side of this sermon and say, well, wait a second, I don't really like everything you had to say. Well, let me just leave you with this. Go read John chapter 6. Because the people that were fed, the 5,000 that were fed, many of them followed Jesus to the next place. And here's the first thing Jesus did, did, excuse me, instead of giving them some kind of a gospel of accommodation. Jesus didn't sit around that night with his little group of 12 saying, hey guys, we got a big crowd. How do you think we can keep them happy? How do you think we can get them to keep following us? Hey, you know what? Maybe if we do a few more miracles. Maybe if we keep giving them food. You know, what can we do to make everybody happy and placate them? Jesus didn't do that. When the crowds followed him, the very first thing he did was turn to them and say, you're not following me for the right reasons. You're following me because you, I gave you food to eat. Hello. Then Jesus goes on to preach a sermon that he knows is going to tick them off. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. 
you knew as well, just reading that, you know that that's going to offend them. And you know what? All of them departed. And Jesus looks at his 12 and says, are you going to leave too? He didn't apologize to him. He didn't go running after the crowd and say, oh, please come back. I'm so sorry I offended you. <laughs> the reason why they got offended was because they were there for the wrong reasons anyway. If they really believed he was the son of God and that his words were life and death and they were there for the right reasons, whenever he, he said things that were hard, they would have stayed with him and said, I don't really understand it, but I know you're the son of God and I know you'll explain it down the road. I'm with you for the long haul, you see. He was testing them and they failed. They left offended and the 12 stayed with him. Later on, they understood when he gave them the communion table, they understood the, the expression about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. It made sense then. But see, the gospel will confront people and either they're going to accept the gospel or they're going to go away upset. But there's no placating anybody there, is there? It's the gospel. The pure gospel, not adding anything to it, not taking anything away from it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man's going to go to heaven but through me. See, these false gospels will try to accommodate everybody. That, well, whatever you believe. That's why you get people on TV that are well-known ministers that don't want to offend anybody, that they say these things where they compromise the gospel itself. And people will ask them straight out, well, will Muslims go to heaven? They don't want to offend anybody, so they say, well, you know, everybody's got their path. And they'll say stuff like that. That, my friend, is a false teacher. That's a hireling God help us that we'll have boldness. Listen, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, that nobody's going to go but through him. And the only way to salvation is going to be through the cross. It is looking to him and what he did. There's a new birth. There's a repentance of sin. There's a washing. You come into a blood covenant with the Lord. So as I close this out, this is the last thing I really want to say is this. The cross is a place of death. You see, this false gospel of accommodation that placates people, it will never bring them to a place of truly dying to themselves and being resurrected in a new life in Christ. Did everybody just hear that right there? Because what you're going to have is you're going to have a whole bunch of people that are still carnal and worldly, fleshly. They've never been to the cross where they've been crucified with the Lord. They don't know in their mind, they probably wouldn't even understand being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. See, the cross is a place that will bring us to absolute death to self, where we are completely crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ living through us. And that the cross will change us. And Jesus said, unless the kernel wheat fall into the ground and die, it won't bear fruit. You've got to fall and you've got to die in Christ. You've got to be crucified with him completely. And then you can enter that resurrected life and begin to be fruitful. You know, there's, what's happening with this gospel of accommodation is it never brings people to that place. 
They don't know newness of life. They don't know Christ's true resurrection life and power. False gospels accommodate men's lack of self-denial. But God's heart is that we not only be a living sacrifice, but also that we're sanctified throughout our whole spirit, soul, and body. And that we'll be a bride without spot or blemish. I believe with all my heart that right now there's a great sifting that's going on. There's, there's a work going on where the tares and the wheat are being separated. You ever notice how the Bible says God will send his angels and gather the tares? They'll be bundled up and then they'll be placed in some kind of a barn reserved for fire. I wonder about some of these places. It's scary. We're living in a time of great deception. We're living in a time of great falling away. And my advice to everybody, and this is the last thing I'll say is this. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, you better examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith. Have you believed a false gospel? Are you just a pseudo-Christian? That something watered down was presented to you? Have you really truly been born of God, for real? Consequently, entered into a newness of life where you've repented of your sins, you're a new creation, the old has passed away, or do you still feel really comfortable with your sinful friends and your sinful partying and your sinful lifestyle? And then coming to church like nothing's wrong. Because that is not true Christianity. You've accepted something counterfeit. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, you better make sure you're in the faith. It's not my responsibility as a preacher to try to make you feel comfortable in your salvation so much as it is to point you to the fact that you better make sure you're saved. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Somebody could tell me, preacher, I don't believe that you're a Christian. I just laugh at him and say, it doesn't matter what you believe about me. The Holy Spirit says I am. It's not my responsibility to try to make people feel good about their Christian faith per se. Like, oh, am I really saved? No. My responsibility is to say, you better make sure you're saved. That's between you and God. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You make sure that you're right with him. The Holy Spirit will bear witness. The Bible says he will. The second thing I would say is you better study the Bible for yourself. Over the last couple decades, we're living in a time when probably, and I say this with love, and I'm, I'm certainly not insinuate this per se about people in River of Life because I think by and large you're the exception to the rule, but you're li we're living in a time where Christianity by and large in America is pathetically lazy about Bible study. They don't even read their Bible, let alone study it. But they sure watch their YouTube videos and their television and play their games Listen to me. You better know the Bible for yourself. That's the reason why people are getting sucked into these false gospels is that if they really knew the Bible, they wouldn't be deceived. Hello? Number three, my advice to you is you better get to know the Holy Spirit. 
the apostle Paul, the very last thing he said to the Corinthian church was that, you know, the, the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Remember how Paul and Barnabas and them in Acts 13 were in prayer and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, the apostles in Jerusalem, the greatest leaders in Christianity, they consulted the Holy Spirit. You better get to know the Holy Spirit. When you know the Holy Spirit, he's a person. And somebody that's truly a Christian and they're real, then you're born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is the one. He's a person. God the Father is in heaven. The Son is at his right hand, ever living to make intercession. The one who is in you and with you is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that I go away. Can you believe he would say that? But he said, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will come. He will lead you in all truth. We better get to know the Holy Spirit. He's the one that teaches you the Bible. He's the one that leads you into truth. You also better get into a powerful church. You may have to drive a ways now, but you better find a church where the power of God is. We're living in these latter days. You need a good church that will tell you the truth and that will pray with you. I think one of the things that's grieved me the most because I came out of the 90s revivals is seeing the lack of hunger and passion that I saw back then in people. They lost their fire. Where's that hunger? Where's that passion? That will cause people to drive a good distance just to be in the presence of God again. But you better get somewhere that's powerful where the sick are healed where you can come if you're in trouble and they'll lay hands and pray over you and something's going to happen. You hear what I'm saying? You need the power of God. You may not need it right at this moment, but there will be a time you need the power of God. In a lot of these places that are pseudo-Christianity, that preach a false gospel and all that, you know what they'll give you? They'll give you a little program. They'll basically give you like Alcoholics Anonymous, but they'll put their little label on it. Little step programs. That's not going to do it, man. How many knows that that's only going to go so far? Those that the sun sets free is free indeed. We don't need a bunch of programs. We need the power of God. When the Lord comes in and he heals and he delivers and he sets people free and he changes lives, you'll really be changed. It won't be some little program where you got like self-discipline going on. And the last thing, my advice to you is not only make sure you're in the faith, you better know the Bible for yourself. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Get in a powerful church. But also, you better develop a strong personal prayer life. You can't, the, we're living in times you cannot ride somebody else's spirituality. It's not going to work. Well, the pastor prays. Yeah, well, that's not going to cut it for you. Each one of us are going to have to have a prayer life. And if you don't know how to pray, there's some good books out there by Dr. Cho, I recommend. Larry Lee wrote a really good book, How Could You Not Tarry One Hour? Larry Lee's book, written back, I think, in the 90s. Life-changing book about prayer. But you need to learn how to pray. I remember this man prayed for me one time. It was really powerful. He's an older gentleman. 
It was a, one of those real powerful encounters. It was so life-changing for me, I called him and I wanted to ask his advice. And he was funny. He said, well, he said, son, you learn things and you forget a bunch of stuff because he was an older gentleman, you know. And he said, but you know what? He said, my advice to you is you better learn how to pray. He told me that when I was young in the Lord. And so I began to pursue prayer. I began to see that everybody that was actually really used powerfully through history were people of prayer. And so I, I started realizing that every revival in church history was birthed in prayer. And I started realizing the Lord said, hey, look, my house will be called a house of prayer. And so Jesus went from one place of prayer to the next place of prayer, and the disciples saw it and said, hey, teach us to pray. And so I realized how important prayer was because Jesus told the disciples, he said, you know, Satan was coming. I can only imagine the oppression that they were dealing with. The devil was coming. And Jesus was going, remember, he was going in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would come back. He did this three times. So Jesus was in prayer for at least three hours, and he came back every hour, and Peter, James, and John were asleep. And he said to them, look, your, your spirit's willing. But your flesh is weak. You better get up and pray. And they just slept more. And he come back again. He said, your spirit's willing, but you better get up and pray. And finally, a third time, he's like, it's over now. And you know what? What happened to the disciples, by and large? They all fled, you know. So we're living in these latter days. Darkness is thickening. It's getting severe. The Bible calls it perilous times. I don't think the American church is really ready for what's on the horizon, by and large. But I'll tell you one of the greatest ways you can be ready is to develop a very strong personal prayer life. Because if you're strong in prayer, then you're going to be strong in your Christian walk. How many knows that a praying Christian is a powerful Christian? How many knows that a praying church is a powerful church? And the devil knows that. If the devil can do anything, once you start praying, he, more than anything else, he wants to get you out of prayer. Because what prayer is, is just like you take an electric appliance and you plug it in. Prayer is your plug-in. You can have that thing running really good and you unplug it, it'll still run for a few seconds, right? But eventually it's going to die out. You've got to stay plugged in. And so I developed a prayer life and, and that's been a great strength to me. I've been through some very difficult things, but I believe my personal prayer life is what got me through it. I really do. And other people praying for me as well. But prayer's the key. So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Just like John was told to eat the scroll, and he had to be faithful to speak the truth. Lord, help us to devour the word of God. Get it in us. There's a sweetness to it, but there's also a bitterness that we've got to speak the truth. Preach the pure gospel, no compromise. Tell it like it is. And let the chips fall where they may. Lord, I thank you for it. Let this be sealed tonight in every heart. Those that's heard this, Lord, let this be established in them. Help us, Lord, forgive us if there's any area where we accepted some counterfeit false gospel. Forgive us, Lord, we repent. We want the pure gospel. We want that strength of truly being born of God and established on a true foundation, a biblical foundation. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let me know when things are shut down. Before you move, is everything shut off back there? Let me know when it is. I want to share something with just those that are here.